0: Ramdas was right. Be here now. You have to be in the moment, India. Otherwise, a tuk-tuk will run into you. A motorcycle will knock you off your feet. A taxi will flatten you. A car driven by a madman will mow you down. The cycle rickshaw will graze you. A pickpocket will rob you. An eager shopkeeper will assault you. Pedestrians will push you out of the way. And beggars will tear at your clothes as well as your heart. If you're on a train or a bus, then anything goes. Just get out of the way. Shove or be shoved. Your survival depends upon being in the moment. And that goes for just about any place or any time in one's life. Be here now. Join me on an adventure a literary romp through India. Meet me at the corner of Patchouli and Chai, where books, cinema, and conversation collide. I'm Lovelace Cook. I'll be your tour guide. Welcome to Bollywood and Books. I vowed I never wanted to go to India again. When I left Bombay in April 2013... I never wanted to smell curry again for the rest of my life. And yet there I was, in India, again. There were two places I wanted to visit before we traveled to Varkala. One was to see the Taj Mahal, and the other was to visit Rishikesh where the Beatles stayed with the Maharishi. India was in my blood. A couple of months ago, I read an article in the UK newsletter, The Guardian. There are two new documentaries about the Beatles and their time in Rishikesh with the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi at his ashram. One of the articles caught my attention because it was about a young Canadian who'd received a Dear John letter. His heart was broken. He went off to India just to try to sort himself out and found himself in Rishikesh at the same time as the Beatles. As soon as I see a picture of the Beatles in India, or a picture of where the Beatles stayed in Rishikesh, my thoughts travel back to my own experiences in India, and especially to Rishikesh just how difficult it was to get there from New Delhi in the first place. The day was a scorcher. We thought we could go to the train station and get a ticket to Hardwar. No luck. Every ticket was sold out. A religious festival was being held there, and a million pilgrims were expected to attend. After all, Hardwar was regarded as a holy place. We always tried to avoid buying tickets at the hotels where we stayed because we knew we would get ripped off. But we were desperate. I'd made hotel reservations at a place that looked like it might be a good spot for us to stay. The reviews looked okay. The travel agent across the little alley from the hotel said he could get us a car. An air-conditioned car, no less. I was ecstatic. I knew we had an eight-hour drive ahead of us, according to the agent. He said it would be an SUV because parts of the road were under construction, and it was the last vehicle he had available. Who knew whether or not it was the truth? The only thing I was thinking was how much easier it would be on both of us if we were in an air-conditioned car with a driver. While we'd had taxis with A.C. on rare occasion, a car and a driver for a long road trip would be a first. It was something we'd never had before, but little did I know. We went out into the marketplace to find the white SUV the travel agent described. The driver, a Sikh, with his turban, gestured for us to get in. The engine was running and the air conditioner was blasting. Why didn't the driver get into the vehicle? He'd put our luggage in the luggage rack and fastened it down with bungee cords. What was he waiting for? My partner and I looked at each other and saw the same question in each other's eyes. Within just a few minutes, a young guy, not an Indian, arrived and climbed into the front seat. Then another guy came and climbed in the back seat beside me and my partner. I'd had to move into the middle, over the exhaust. Hmm, that did not bode well. A few minutes later, two young women and another young man approached the vehicle, and suddenly it dawned on me. The travel agent sold as many seats as he was able in the vehicle. Why had I ever thought my partner and I would have the ride all to ourselves? We all had to shuffle around. So there we were, the Sikh driver, five young Israeli soldiers. They were the wild bunch on vacation, my partner and me. We were all packed like sardines into the SUV, and I was wedged in the third-row seat between the two young women. At last we were off. I asked the driver a question, to which he replied in English. I don't speak English. Oh, fabulous. Could it get any better, I wondered? Of course there was a festival in the Pahar Ganj where we'd been staying, and we were parked just off the main boulevard of the old Delhi marketplace. The traffic was god-awful as the driver wound his way through alleys and back streets until we were finally on a four-lane road, although it was still in the city. Did I say it was hot? Even with the A.C. going full blast, I was sweating profusely. My tunic was soaking wet. I was miserable, and I wondered if we'd ever get to the highway when we stopped at a traffic light in bumper-to-bumper traffic. There was a light tap on the driver's window, and I saw a hand with bright painted fingernails, a forearm decked out in bracelets, and whoa, it was a he-she, Hijra, seeking a handout. The driver opened his window and dropped some coins into her palm. It's bad luck otherwise, the Hindus believe, not to give alms to the men-women, India's third gender. It seems that open discussion of gender, other than male and female, is a recent cultural shift in Western societies. But in Hindu society, people of non-binary gender have played an important role for more than 2,000 years. In India, those individuals called the third gender can be found in the Hindu holy texts like the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, where hero Arjuna becomes the third gender. The road was under construction a good deal of the way, and it turned out that our Sikh driver, who spoke no English, had a death wish. He drove like an absolute maniac, weaving in and out of traffic around cars and buses. I finally closed my eyes when I couldn't take any more of the driver, whose apparent skills put our lives in danger. The last half hour of the trip was gravel and dust, and not necessarily in that order. That was the road from Hardwar to Rishikesh. As soon as we reached Rishikesh, the driver stopped in the marketplace. Apparently, that was as far as he was going to take us. So my partner and I got a tuk-tuk to take us from the center of Rishikesh to our hotel. When we got to the hotel, which was in the back of Beyond literally perched on the side of what had to be a mountain overlooking Rishikesh. I didn't panic at the outset. I was too relieved to have arrived. It was dusk when we got there. The hotel looked promising from the outside. It wasn't as spectacular as the online description, but it seemed to promise what I hoped would be a comfortable stay. It was a huge concrete structure, much larger than most of the low-rent hotels where we stayed. I'd reserved an air-conditioned room for our special touristy trips to Agra and Rishikesh. I thought we deserved special treats before going to Varkala. After paying for a couple of nights in advance, we hauled our bags up the several flights of steps on the exterior of the building to the top floor. The balcony overlooked the city and the river. The entire top floor was a suite, and it was to be ours for the next couple of nights. We opened the door and stepped back in time. At least, that's what it felt like. The place looked like a set for a James Bond movie. It was a time capsule. It hadn't changed since the 60s. It was garish. It was exotic. It was a large room with marble floors filled with shabby but fancy furniture. The bathroom was pink all pink, with some black accents, and a massive pink bathtub. The bed was on a platform. At one time it had been surrounded by curtains that fell from ceiling to floor, but now there was only one frayed curtain hanging and empty tracks on the ceiling for the missing curtains. It must have been extraordinary when it was all new. I could not wait to take a bath in that huge tub, The faucets didn't work. I couldn't fill the tub with water. At least, there was warm water in the shower, and that did work. The next day, as we walked down the steps for breakfast, we encountered a very large and aggressive monkey that appeared out of nowhere. Monkeys are a bit aggressive if they've been fed or are around humans a lot, especially in a tourist town. I was terrified. My partner scared the monkey off, and I stepped around the poo it had left on the steps. I noticed it remained there for the duration of our stay. The hotel employee, I only saw one, wasn't cleaning. Then who was cleaning, and why weren't they? So I was really puzzled that the people at the hotel didn't clean up the monkey poo. I mean, it was in such contrast to this exotic hotel room with its fancy furnishings from the sixties and complete neglect of the building. I recall that each evening a group of guys on motorcycles roared up and these handsome young Hindi guys all well-dressed congregated in the office, a little sitting room in a separate building in the older part of the complex. They stayed an hour and all left at the same time. The next night, "'the motorcycles arrived at roughly the same time. "'And the guys, maybe six or seven, "'gathered in the office for an hour and left as a group, "'the motorcycles all roaring off into the night. "'It seemed very odd because it happened each night we were there. "'I was intrigued, and I wanted to find out. "'So I asked the young man in the office "'why the guys were meeting every evening.' He gave me a blank look, a wave of his hand, and went back to his computer. What an odd non-reaction. Maybe I have a wild imagination, but it was mysterious and it intrigued me. I decided the key to the puzzle had to be money. The motorcycles were brand new and the guys were very well dressed. It must have been a money laundering scheme. The hotel, which did a cash business with its guests, was simply a front. And there I was in a James Bond movie set in Rishikesh where the Beatles had descended for spiritual enlightenment. It struck me as ironic that staying in this what must have been at one time a luxurious hotel had capitalized on the concept of the spiritual quest to provide a more comfortable stay for those who sought enlightenment and had the deep pockets That's one thing you have to admire about India. There are times when it's only in reflection that people and places leave an impression. I think that's the case regarding Rishikesh for me. My partner was cranky. Well, that happens on the road. It's never all bliss. Where I wanted to linger over meals and learn more about the people we met, he was anxious to be doing all the time. We left the exotic James Bond location after a few days. It was just a little too bizarre and moved, really, not more than a couple of hundred yards away, but up farther up into the mountain. It was only a short walk, and as it turned out, the family guest house had a restaurant. The son had trained as a chef in Delhi, and the food was incredible. I can only describe his food as works of art. The presentation was just beautiful. Meals there were a delight. There was a special camaraderie around the breakfast table when we met Tarachandra, a guru from Brooklyn originally. He was a translator of ancient Sanskrit. He lived in Rishikesh half the year and in Kathmandu, Nepal, the other half of the year. He was staying at the same family guest house where we stayed. It was modest, cold-water shower, and reasonable. It was really quite pleasant. On that particular morning, when the chef brought out our breakfasts, which were absolutely gorgeous, he warned me, Watch out for the monkey! I turned and looked. There was a huge monkey sitting on a fence very nearby. The chef said, Grab your iPhone before the monkey grabs it. One evening, we joined a young Israeli pilot. He was plotting a motorcycle route for a race through some of the most challenging mountainous area. He had topographic maps and aerial photographs marking the route. He told us that very few people were able to finish the course because of the level of difficulty, but he felt confident that he would. One afternoon a motorcycle pulled up to the guest house. The young man driving the motorcycle could only be described as a gorgeous guy, a hunk with movie star good looks. And on the back of the motorcycle, a young woman, obviously a Westerner, turns out she was from Switzerland and studying yoga with the guy who happened to be a yoga teacher. And of course, there's the Lakshmjula Bridge, for which Rishikesh is famous. Motorcycles, monkeys, people were on it. I understand now that no motorcycles are allowed, and they've put up some barriers. There are 12 temples in Rishikesh. The Gita Bawan is a vast complex, known as a significant place for the preservation of Hindu mythology. Getting out of Rishikesh was just as difficult as it was to get there. We couldn't get a taxi. We flagged down a tuk-tuk. It was a 30-minute drive, construction all the way, bumpy, rocks, dusty. And once we got to Haridwar, there were no tickets available to Delhi until the next morning. It was packed with pilgrims. Haridwar is at the confluence of several rivers, It's a spot of religious significance. We managed to grab a bite to eat from a street vendor, and we found a hotel. Kind of a ghastly place, cheap, fake paneled walls. It was dark, none too clean, a fluorescent light on the ceiling, certainly nothing to write home about. The next morning, we walked to the train station expecting to purchase our tickets, but there were none available. We were not going to stick around Haridwar another day and night. So what to do? It was a dilemma. I looked at my partner and said, We've seen Indians just jump on the trains without tickets. Let's see if we can just hitch a ride the same way. We can always pay the conductor if we get caught without them. Do you know how hard it is to be inconspicuous when you're the only Westerners in a train car full of Hindi pilgrims? Well, we did end up paying for the ticket and apologized to the conductor. It's all the bumps in the road that make a journey memorable, and I will never forget that trip to Rishikesh. Thanks to Glasgow resident Jonathan Chapman, classically trained musician, artist, website designer, and a really great guy who introduced me to Edinburgh-based Red Note Ensemble, and their album, Reels to Ragas, whose music you're listening to, with renowned tabla player Kuljit Bamra. For more information, see the show notes at bollywoodinbooks.com, where East truly meets West.